Thanks, BJ. We appreciate that. Um, this morning, I'm excited that we get to dive into the book of Isaiah uh, and look at the 43rd chapter. And we're going to be thinking about what does it look like to be immersed in the new. Immersed in the new. Uh, and so we're going to talk about baptism a little bit, but we're also going to talk about the exodus. Uh, and a couple of weeks ago, we got to talk about the exodus as well and think through uh, how that leads us into growing confidence in God. And this is all a part of the Begin Again series. So uh, if we could, if you have your Bibles or if you want to open the Mission Hills app, you can look up there to Isaiah chapter 43. And we're going to be in verses 16 through 21, 16 through 21. It'll also be on the TV screen. And I'm reading from the New Living Translation. And it reads like this. It says, I am the Lord who opened a way through the waters, making a dry path through the sea. I called forth the mighty army of Egypt with all its chariots and horses. I drew them beneath the waves and they drowned. Their lives snuffed out like a smoldering candlewick. But forget all that. It is nothing compared to what I am going to do. For I am about to do something new. See, I have already begun. Do you not see it? I make a pathway through the wilderness. I will create rivers in the dry wasteland. And the wild animals in the fields will thank me. The jackals and owls, too, for giving them water in the desert. Yes, I will make rivers in the dry wasteland so my chosen people can be refreshed. I have made Israel for myself, and they will someday honor me before the whole world. I love this series, and I love this passage, because it gives hope to us that we can start over. It gives hope to us that how we started doesn't have to be how we finish. It gives hope to us that the Lord will meet us in our dry, desert, wilderness places and refresh us. And then not only will he do that, but he will cause us, as it says in verse 21, to someday honor him before the whole world. And so I want us to think together for just a little bit about how we can be immersed in the new. And then we'll take it practical and we'll talk about baptism. And I know many of you may have already been baptized, and so I want to encourage you to remember your baptism. But let's start with verse 16. Verse 16 and 17 says, I am the Lord who opened the way through the waters. Let's pause there because that takes us to the book of Exodus, Exodus 12 and 13. It takes us to the spot where Moses has been uh, risen up or uh, as a rose to be the deliverer of the people of God chosen by God. And we talked about this a couple of weeks ago, so I won't spend a lot of time on it. But when he is chosen to be the deliverer and the mouthpiece of God to a corrupt and evil Pharaoh, he says my favorite words, oh, Pharaoh, Pharaoh, let my people go, right? There we go. Thank you for the participation. And so then God does something awesome through the ten plagues. He shows his power and his brilliance and his um, amazingness through these plagues, and he brings them to the tenth plague, the, the plague of the death of the firstborn. And then, finally, Pharaoh, his heart, which is hardened, he lets the Israelites go, and they head towards the Red Sea. And they get to the Red Sea. Imagine them standing there, all these people, thousands of people, 400 years worth of reproduction has happened, okay? So there's a lot of people, and they are preparing to leave the land of Egypt, and they've taken the silver and the gold from the Egyptians, and so they are packed down, and they're standing there in front of that sea, and they're wondering, how will we cross? 
And God tells Moses this amazing thing. He says, stretch out your rod. And then he does. And what happens? The sea parts and they walk on dry ground. Now, here in the book of Isaiah, the prophet is reminding the people of God of this amazing moment. Because God brings this up over and over again. Because he wants it to be so instilled and impressed on their brains that they won't forget. Because he wants them to understand his faithfulness. And so he brings this up. And so this morning, I want you to think about in the midst of your situations, whatever they may be, I know they're diverse in here, that the Lord has been a deliverer through the Red Sea. And so what is that deliverance moment in your life? It may be your salvation moment, but I'm sure it's other things. For me, it's been times when I've had illness and I need the Lord to touch my body to make me well. That's one of my exodus moments. It could be time where I went off to school and didn't know how I was going to be provided for or how I was going to get back and forth to Boston to go to Harvard. But the Lord provided. That was an exodus moment. That was a moment that I made, that God made a dry path through the sea. Think through those things. I wish I had time to talk about the neuroscience of memory, and I wish Cherish was here so she could tell you. Right, Just about the importance of those neurons that are forming your brain that are causing you to remember things. Because nothing actually gets lost in your brain. It's a file system. It might be locked away in some door that you cannot access. But the important spiritual discipline for us as believers is to know how to unlock those things that God has done in our memories so that we can remember the exoduses in our life. That's vital. That's vital, but we get through verse 17. He says, I called forth that mighty armor of Egypt, army of Egypt with all its chariots and horses, and I drew them beneath the waves, and they drowned. So we see God doing a rescuing, liberating work, and their lives were snuffed out like a smoldering, smoldering candle wick. That was justice. That was justice. I tell you, when I read this passage, I sometimes, some of my modern sensibilities get offended, right? Because I'm like, oh, God killed some people. Yeah, that's what he did. And it feels, it feels wrong. But then I remember that God is a holy and just God. And that these people were oppressors. They were oppressors. And so God, in his mercy and in his divine, sovereign wisdom, decided to mete out justice in a way that was appropriate. Now, I and my modern sensibilities can be uh, disapproving of a mighty God. But I tell you, when I stand in the face of God and he says, he is the almighty one who is sovereign, I have to shriek back in my arrogance. Verse 18, I love this, and I, this is why I chose this translation. The other translations kind of get at it a little bit, but nothing makes the point like this in verse 18. But forget all that. He speaks in real plain language in this New Living Translation. Forget all that. And he doesn't really want them to disremember. He's just saying, what's about to happen will be in no comparison to what I've done before. And what I did before was great and amazing. But what I'm about to do now is about to blow your mind. And I tell you, when I hear that, I think through my own life, and I wonder, Lord, what things do you have established and set? And I want to encourage you for yourself as you get ready to immerse yourself in the new, because the Lenten season is always an opportunity to be immersed in the new. And when God brings us to the new, we should get ourselves ready and expectant for something great. Same thing here, but forget all that. Forget all that. Because what I'm about to do, it is nothing compared to what I am going to do. And here is where I want to camp out for a little bit. Verse 19. For I am about to do something new. 
See, I have already begun. It's already progressive. It's already at work because God in his amazingness, he sits outside of time. And so he sees both the past, the present, the future, all at one time. I don't know, don't ask me how it works out, but I can kind of, if you've ever seen the software of editing a video, uh, what you can do is you can look and you can see literally the frames of the past, of the moment that you're focused in on, and the future of that video. Think about that for a second. God has that in some amazing telescopic way to see all of time in all of this and all of it. And he says that I've already started to bring about the new. Do you not see it? Other translations says, do you not perceive it? That I'm about to do something new. I will make a pathway through the wilderness. I will create rivers in the dry wasteland. You see, I want us to, to think about three S's. There you go. Hopefully this will stick in your mind later. But three S's that when we prepare to immerse ourselves in the new, we must take a certain posture. Posture of surrender, submission, and sacrifice. Now, you may be wondering, how does that tie into baptism? Well, the way I think about it is when you prepare to be immersed in the water, like I was, good old Baptist boy here, taken down in the water, and they would sing this old song in my church in Landrum Springs Baptist Church in Landrum, South Carolina. They'd say, take me to the water, take me to the water, take me to the water to be baptized. When I was six years old, that was the song they sang over me. As they took me, and I had, I guess, my little swimming trunks on, right? And my grandfather, who had led me to Christ, dumped me in the water. And I'll tell you guys, I was terrified. He spent the whole week before teaching me how to hold my nose and hold my breath underwater. Because I was so scared. But he took me, and he dumped me. He immersed me in the water. And the thing is, is something amazing happened in that moment. Now, Baptism does not save you, okay? Baptism does not, it's not salvific. It does not wash away the sins. But what it does do is it is a sign and a symbol, a foretaste of the new to come. But I'm getting ahead of myself. Back to those three S's. That surrender, that submission, and that sacrifice. When you get baptized, it requires those three postures. To experience the new that Isaiah is talking about here. Isaiah is talking about uh, he's talking about an eschatological future. He's talking about the last things. He's talking a, about a recreation of all of the earth, of all the people, of the entire universe. He's talking about a redo from a divine perspective. But when we get baptized, baptism is also a sign, a symbol, and a foretaste of the new creation that is yet to come. That's beautiful. It's not just a sign and symbol that we have died with Christ and been risen alive and dead to our sin, but it is a foretaste of something that is to come. And N.T. Wright, who is a, a theologian, he says it like this. And he says the word jolly, which makes me happy in here. He says, if you are baptized, you really are a part of the company who is now journeying on towards this new creation. And better jolly will get on board with that, therefore, put to death, therefore, all that is earthly, therefore, reckon that you are, in fact, dead to sin and alive to Christ. I think the part that is so important to hold on to there is that you're journeying on towards this new creation. But again, I'm 
getting ahead of myself. Back to these three S's, these, this posture of surrender. You see, the Lord calls us to total surrender. He calls us to total dependence all the time, every day, every hour. Now, is that easy? No, but that is what he's called us to, and it is for our good. It is for our good that we continue to lean and depend on Jesus. My family sings a song. My mom actually leads it. She says, she says, I'm leaning and depending on Jesus. And every time they sing this song, it touches my heart because me as an achiever, as someone who wants to hold myself up by my own strength and by my own bootstraps, I want to walk with my proud self and my chest boasted out thinking that I can carry the world and its weight on my shoulders. The Lord is saying, Damaris, the Lord is saying to you, surrender, lean, depend on me. Whatever the situation is, he knows. He sees it. He is aware and he's working. In fact, see, I've already begun. Do you not perceive it? Do you not see it? I'm in the process of recreating. I'm in the process of redoing. I'm in the process of reconstructing this whole world and its brokenness with its wars and its rumors of wars and its famines and here in Yemen and in Syria and its bloodshed. I am doing a new thing. I've already begun. And how has God chosen to begin? He has chosen to begin through us, the people of God. And it started, as N.T. Wright said, when you came up out of that water, you came and were literally inserted into a new community of redevelopers. That's beautiful. That's meaningful. That's weighty. That's something I give my life to. That's something you can call other people to come and join you as you walk with Jesus, as you are redevelopers of the world with God. Second S, submission. We surrender with total dependence, leaning and dependent on Jesus, but we must submit. Submit is a word that is closely affiliated with authority. And for us, uh, especially in the modern day, and particularly the millennial generation uh, and Generation Z, which is like my friend over here, Pete, who's Generation Z, we have sometimes an issue with authority. We don't, we like to push back. We don't like institutions. We're frustrated with them. We don't trust the church. We don't trust government. We want to be free of all those things. But the thing that we cannot get free of ever is the reign and rule of God. We can try. But I am reminded in Philippians chapter 2, verse 11, I believe, it says that, uh, that every knee shall bow, every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. You see, we must submit to the rule and reign of God if we are to experience the new, if we are to participate in bringing about the new. And the way that we surrender, the way that we submit is when we have an active obedience of once we have committed to Jesus to literally being immersed or even sprinkled in water. And we do that as a sign, symbol, and foretaste. I'm going to talk about that in a little bit. Third is, we must sacrifice. This is tightly affiliated and, and associated with surrender and with submission. We must sacrifice. We, we must sacrifice our desires. Why? Because an empty cup can be filled. A full cup overflows. 
Let me explain. An empty cup, as we sacrifice, as we pour out ourselves, it can be filled by the divine glory of the Lord. It can be filled by the Spirit. In fact, the, we are told over and over again to be refilled, to have a continual feeling of the Holy Spirit. And so we must daily die to ourselves. We must daily sacrifice. We must daily pour out our cup. Makes me think about uh, the karate kid, right? Feels like some type of illustration for the karate kid. Let me pour out this water so I can pour this in. In fact, there was a, this old movie called No Retreat, No Surrender. Anybody ever seen that movie? Uh, I, I've seen it way more than that. Uh, I love that movie. No retreat, no surrender. Let me let me bring y'all into the movie. So it's got Bruce Lee in it, okay? Uh, and there's this young kid who moves from to Seattle, uh, and he meets Bruce, Bruce Lee. Don't ask me how. It's a little strange and weird and mystical, but it happens. And so he meets Bruce Lee, and Bruce Lee begins to train him. And he's all, and you see him like practicing and fighting, and he says. Is that right, Vitaga? Is that right? And he's like teaching him and teaching him. And then one day there's this illustration where Bruce Lee comes and he says, he pours a Coke into a, a cup of water and it begins to overflow. And then he, he, uh, Bruce Lee pours it out and says, you need to be like this. You need to be empty so that I can fill you up. Same thing. Be sacrificial. Sacrifice yourself to the Lord. Sacrifice your desires. Sacrifice all things so that you can have more of him, to be completed in him and only by him. You see, in baptism, as you're going to the water, or maybe as some of you have been to the water, you entered into that new community, but there's also this piece. In baptism, this is a guy named Andrew Wilson. He's a pastor and theologian. He says, in baptism, our bodies are marked out for resurrection, for entrance into the new creation. Sounds a little bit like N.T. right? We walk in the path of Jesus Christ, the way of Exodus. And as we pass through the waters of baptism, we join with Moses and Miriam on the far shore of the sea, singing both of what God has done and of what he will do. Knowing that the God who held back the waters of the Red Sea will make short work of the Jordan. That is an illustration uh, of when the Israelites got to the promised land and God said, hey, I'm going to take you through another uh, moment of entrance into the new, into the Jordan, over the Jordan. But I want you to really hear from this quote. He says, knowing that God who held back the waters of the Red Sea will make short work of the Jordan. And we walk in the path of Jesus Christ the way of the Exodus. Baptism is a sign, a symbol, and a foretaste, and I want to make you think of the hymn of his glory divine, right? But he's a sign and a symbol of, and a foretaste of the new creation to come. And so when we celebrate people, celebrate the people who have been baptized or are going to be baptized, we are literally saying, hey, you know what? The wild animals in the fields will thank me and the jackals and owls too for giving them water in the desert. When someone comes, goes into the water and comes out of the water, we are celebrating with them that God is providing a new thing in the desert. Yes, I will make rivers in the dry wasteland. When they go in the water, come out of the water, you have been provided for and you have stepped into the recreation of the world. And someday you will honor me before the whole world. Let's pause and sit there for a second. Because in baptism, 
we are literally announcing, pronouncing, and I like to say it like this, that we're on Team Jesus. That we have committed ourselves to falling into his way, his rule, and his reign. And now we get to lock arms with Jesus in the world, wherever he may be working. When we were working with uh, the kids from Table of Grace last week, we had locked arms with Jesus that day. When we got to do the masquerade banquet, we had locked arms with Jesus that day to not only announce to the world the gospel of Jesus, but to demonstrate to the world the gospel of Jesus. I love it like this. Tim Keller says that the gospel is both the rescue and the restoration of all things. In our baptism, we're saying a whole heck of a lot. We are saying so much that it is a sign, it is a signpost pointing to there is a greater day, there is a new day a coming. So when we get baptized, we're not just getting wet. We are literally broadcasting to the world that we are immersing ourselves in the new. And we're hopeful, not just hoping, we're that a new day shall arise where literally the lion and the lamb will lay down with each other, where the war in Ukraine will be no more, where there'll be no more nukes, where there'll be no more fighting, there'll be no more family discord, there'll be no more need for, uh, uh, for someone to, to have to pull out and pay for someone who's hungry because there shall be a bounty. In fact, there shall be a table that is prepared for us to enjoy with one another. This is the new that we get immersed into. This is the new that nothing can be compared to. And so when we think about baptism, think about the new. Think about dead to sin, alive to Christ. And I get to lock on with Jesus to be a redeveloper, a recreator in the world. Let's pray. Dear God, we ask that you would impress upon our hearts and our minds this great work that you called us to. Lord, I pray that we will be gospel people who are gospel-minded. And Lord, I ask that you would help us to remember our baptism, but I also invite those, Lord, who don't, who have not been baptized, Lord, to do so, to proclaim that they're on Team Jesus, to be immersed in the new, to make a sign, symbol, and foretaste of the new that is coming. And we pray this now in your name, Jesus. Amen.